Well, it is my pleasure here this week on the Music Mania podcast to welcome my new pal, Sydney Taylor. She is the host of the Metal from the Inside podcast. Uh, you know, metalfromtheinside.com. Sydney, welcome to the show. How is everything going? Happy early Fourth of July weekend. I know you have something crazy planned, or are we allowed to have fun, or has that just been thrown by the wayside? <laughs> I've been doing all right. Um, just working on the podcast. You know, we've all kind of been quarantine so it's been a good couple of months to kind of stay hunkered down and kind of just like you know been been working and whatnot and kind of putting a lot of my effort into that you know now that everybody's home to do interviews and stuff so I'm doing I'm doing good though how about yourself oh you know what we're missing the the vibes of live music I tell you this is the first summer since I was um younger than you that I haven't gone to a concert. So summer of 99 was like when it really started for me. Like, I think I saw Poison on the reunion tour that year, uh, Ted Nugent, Bon Jovi, a bunch of shows. And it just never, it, it's never slowed down for me until 2020. Um, I went to Vegas in February and saw Aerosmith and then went to Reading the Rock Vault. I have some friends that play in that. And then that was my last show. That was it. I have <laughs> February. That was it. What was, your, what, what was your last show so far? My last show was, I believe, Jeff Tate. Um, he played the TLA, which is like a, uh, I want to say kind of maybe, I think it's like a thousand cap room here in Philadelphia. And I think that was back in February. He was my last. So it's it's been really tough, you know, like I, like you, I'm sure. And, you know, many people listening, music is my whole life and live music, especially now. So the fact that we've kind of been at a standstill for, you know, months now and until pretty much indefinitely it's it's tough do you think you know looking into the future here and i've kind of this whole thing is sort of a trickle-down effect so you look at you look at live nation and the troubles that they've had um and kind of having to seek some financial security from a, a an outside source right uh, you think about Ticketmaster and some of the refund policies and i mean i think that this goes to the fact that it's going to be really hard for people to, to buy concert tickets ahead of time. And we, we've seen some of the policy changes. Ticketmaster is trying to limit um, kind of the amount that uh, artists are getting and kind of the, putting the responsibility on the artists as far as cancellations goes. This is a crazy time. Do you think that we'll ever get back to normal, whatever that means? It's really hard to say. I would like to think so, because I think as a society and especially like just fans of music, we are very drawn to being together. It's just kind of what this music community has been for the last five decades, and I'm sure it will continue to be that way. I would like to think that it will eventually go back to normal, even if it is a slow and kind of steady race to back to normal. Um, yeah, it's just it's just been tough to see. And I mean, like you were talking about all of the kind of like policy changes with Live Nation and everything that's going on, which I know like they've gotten a lot of heat from stuff lately because of everything that's kind of been going on with that. Um, but I don't know. I'd like to think that we will eventually get back to a place that's somewhat normal. I think just, like I said, as a music community, we thrive in being together, you know, at a show and talking about music. I think it's a big part of loving music is the community that goes along with it. So I think as long as there are music fans, you know, we will continue to kind of push through this until, you know, we can get, get back to a, some kind of semblance of normal. That is very well said. Definitely agree there. And I want to talk about um, your podcast, Metal from the Inside. 
clear, you're 20 years old and this pot, your name of your podcast is in reference to Alice Cooper, one of my favorite artists of all time. So you're 20 years old. So you've got a lot of explaining to do here on the Music Mania podcast <laughs> and I'm up for all of it. I'm excited to see someone like you, uh, someone your age that um, has cl clearly been drawn to this music for one reason or another. For me, I'm 36. Uh, so I'm kind of on the the young side for this, right? So, but now I feel uh, feel pretty old. But my uncle uh, showed me all of his Kiss records whenever I was a kid, and like I did, I had never heard a song. I didn't know anything about it. I saw the cover of Destroyer, and I was like, I'm done. This is it. I'm it's over. I know what the, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to this direction, and I've never stopped since. Give us your story and kind of how the podcast started. Yeah. So, um, growing up, I pretty much heard rock and roll in some kind of some kind of manner from very, very young. Um, you know, even like early rock and roll, I have a story, uh, my parents always tell it. I think the first song I ever heard on the way home from the hospital, my parents played um, the Beatles actually, they played Here Comes the Sun. And uh, I've always just had rock and roll in my life, um, whether it's something as, I guess, simple as the Beatles or kind of more mellow as the Beatles to, you know, Slayer. I've had, you know, everything, you know, in between. Um, so growing up, I listened to all of that type of music, and when I was about nine, I would say, I think was when I really got into Alice Cooper. Um, I was going to concerts pretty much since I was like five years old. I think my wow. first show was American Idiot. Uh, the American Idiot tour was Green Day um, at Giant Stadium, uh, the stadium that's no longer there anymore, but the original Giant Stadium. That was my first show. And I continued from then on and I saw Ozzy and when I was like seven. And so my dad is a huge rock and metal fan and so is my mom. And so they just kind of took me to a bunch of shows and it kind of just stuck. But when I was nine, uh, my dad had gone to see Alice Cooper and he went without me because at that point I knew the music, but I wasn't like a, a big fan per se. I just like knew the music. Um, so he went with my godfather, uh, which is his best friend, and he came back from the show uh, the next morning, and I was like sitting at the breakfast table. I remember it very, very clearly. And he showed me that he had caught beads that Alice mm. had thrown out during uh, the show. And he usually throws out beads during Dirty Diamonds, for those of you who don't know, um, one, of the, one of his songs. But he threw out these beads, and my dad got one of them. And the next morning, he decided he wanted to give them to me. And I think I was just so fascinated by the fact that whoever my dad had seen or this you know, singer that I knew the songs of actually had this item, and now I had it. Um, and so I kind of fell in love with Alice Cooper from there, um, started to listen to all of his music. Uh, I met him for the first time when I was 10. He was at a horror convention uh, in New Jersey. So it was like hour and a half from where I used to live in New York. And we went and I got to meet him and it kind of just sparked this ongoing love that I've had for him since I was about 10. And uh, from then on, like I went through, I think a lot of people my age, we, and even, you know, I think anybody kind of goes through this when they're younger, you kind of get into the uh, stuff that's popular at the time, you know, for mm -hmm. me, it was like pop and stuff. And I kind of went through a phase when I was in like middle school and stuff where I kind of just forgot about rock and was like, I want to listen to what everybody else is listening to. And which was a terrible idea. If, if, you, if you're young. And yeah, you're thinking that's about a PSA, that, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't do that. It was a bad idea. But um, in the beginning of high school, I 
very vividly remember, again, I was kind of into what everybody else was listening to, and I decided to revisit Alice Cooper. Um, I don't know what drove me to revisit Alice Cooper, but I put on, he has this greatest hits album called Mascara and Monsters, um, and I put that album on, and I just fell in love with everything that he did uh, again, and that kind of just sparked this love again that I had for rock, and I started to study things, and I was, you know, diving back into old albums that I didn't really have a chance to dive into when I was younger, uh, because I kind of just knew the hits when I was younger, so I started to dive back into older stuff, and um, again, that was, I want to say, like, my sophomore year of high school, so that I think that was 2014, 2015, and ever since then, I've just full-fledged got into it. And you have the podcast now, Metal from the Inside, and you have had some tremendous guests on. You're really making headway here. I think it's important to have not only a younger voice, but a female voice. I think that's tremendous. How did the podcast come about? And sort of how have you sort of made headway? Because for me, it was um, around 2013 we started, and it was just anybody I could get my hands on, anybody that would respond to a, a tweet or a, a Facebook message. Right. And it started that way. Was that kind of similar for you? How did, how have you done this? I know you just had David Ellison on, a, uh, who we've had on many times. Great guy. How, tell us about the podcast and, and kind of how this all got underway. So even before the podcast, I kind of was diving into the world of music journalism. Um, when I was still in high school, I started writing for this blog called University of Rock, which they're a really big social media account, and they used to have a blog. And that's kind of how I started. I wrote like three articles a week for this blog. Um, and eventually, when I got into college, I'm currently a music business major. So I started following my dreams with that. And when I got into college, I was approached by these two gentlemen who are very, very kind, and I can't even thank them enough for all that they gave me um, with experience. They approached me and saw that I was writing, and they asked if I wanted to be a part of their publication. And so I, of course, said yes. And from there, it was just kind of a nonstop flurry of getting every interview I could get and kind of writing everything that I could and reviewing every show and every album that I got my hands on. Um, and I think my very first. My very first interview I actually had for my college radio show, which I forgot to mention. I used to have a radio show at my college's station, um, which is how I kind of really got into doing interviews. Uh, and it was called Metal from the Strip. So it was all metal from the Sunset Strip at that time period. And my first interview was actually Nadir DePriest from the band London, which many of you probably know from The Decline of Western Civilization Part 2. But he was my first interview. And then I uh, interviewed Jeff Tate, and it just kind of went on from there. So I wrote with them and did interviews for them for about two and a half years. And I love them so much, Mark and Anthony. Uh, they run this site called MA Entertainment Global. Again, they're great, and I can't thank them enough for the experience they gave me. Um, but I just kind of felt like it was time to just go off on my own and kind of see what I could do. I had gotten a lot of interviews just by reaching out and kind of like grassrooting it and kind of just going for it. Um, so I decided that I was going to create my own site and I created Metal from the Inside, which is, like you said, inspired by Alice Cooper's album from the inside, which is my favorite album of all time. And uh, Alice has always inspired me. So I figured why not now would he inspire me as well. And uh, it just worked because, you know, I wanted to focus on metal from the inside perspective of either a musician or photographer, tour manager, or, you know, radio broadcaster, anything like that. 
Um, so I had the site, I created that back in July of 2019. So it's been about a year. Um, and back in February, I had the idea after support from a couple of friends and my parents and just loved ones I talked to about starting my own podcast. And it just kind of went from there. I, it's very funny how I got my first guest because my first guest was Glenn Hughes. And I, <laughs> I, to this day is like the craziest thing ever. He like randomly followed me on Twitter a couple months ago, I think back in actually 2019. And, um, I still don't know why. He's an amazing guy, but he followed me on Twitter. And I just took a shot in the dark and asked him if he wanted to be a guest on the podcast. And he agreed. And uh, he was my first guest. And I've just been going from there. Um, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a major learning experience because I do it all myself. So I do schedule the interviews and edits and do the promotional work and marketing and everything for it. Um, but it's been really amazing. And I'm very happy for all the support I've gotten on it so far. Well, it's tremendous and congratulations on that. I'm definitely in the same boat. I, I kind of do this all myself too. I used to have a co-host, but let me just tell you, he was, he's married. And so that's all you pretty much need to know about, uh, <laughs> about that. Um, that was the end of that. So uh, kind of getting back to that. I mean, Glenn Hughes is amazing. He, we've had him on a couple of times. He's such a huge fan um, of his work in Deep Purple and of course, even his short stint in Black Sabbath. But you talk yeah. about Alice Cooper, you talk about From the Inside being your favorite Alice Cooper album. And that's one thing I want to get into is favorite Alice Cooper albums. I want to get into that because mine, you would never guess in a million years, it's insane. Um, but I want to get into yours first because a couple years ago, there's actually like a video that going around that, I don't know if you, you might be too young for this, but uh, former MTV VJ, Jesse Camp, and I were at the Motley Crue, uh, the Dirt premiere in Hollywood. And, mm -hmm. and Jesse Camp and I just, he came up to me and we were, he's like, can you name every Al Alice Cooper album in order? And so like we took turns naming the albums in chrono chronological order and like TMZ is like filming it. Like they don't know who I am, of course. I'm just some idiot. But they're like filming Jesse Camp who still like kind of, you know, looks like he did and <laughs> somewhat back in the 90s. And we're, we're rattling off these albums and like, anyway, it, it was, it was, kind of led me back to um, an interview we did with him where we talked about our favorite albums. I want to get into yours from the insides. Number one, why is that? And then what are some that uh, kind of creep up there, maybe into the top three or four or so? Um, from the inside, I think it's very interesting because I don't know if I remember an exact moment, like where I first listened to it, but I know it was around when I was kind of rediscovering Alice and I was really diving in his, into his discography. So I was listening to pretty much just every album uh, again from like beginning to end um, when I was really getting back into him. And I remember listening to that record and the lyrics on that album, I think were what kind of took me first. Um, I, at the time, I don't think I really knew anything about the background of the record or why he wrote it or, you know, what it was really uh, about, like, cause you know, it's about his personal experience. For those of you who don't know, um, he, Alice was in a psychiatric asylum for actually alcoholism. He was not in there for a mental illness, but <laughs> in the seventies, that's where you went when you had um, a problem like that. And so he went into this asylum for, I think only a couple weeks. It wasn't very long, um, but he ended up writing this album based on his experiences in the asylum. And so at the time, I don't really think I knew very much about that, but it was the lyrics that really, I think, just took me with the album um like the lyrics in the quiet room and 
you know, even a How You Gonna See Me Now is probably my, in my top five favorite Alice Cooper songs of all time. Um, his ballad writing's unmatched, but I just fell in love with that album and the mu- musicianship. Like, it's just, I think one of, one of his best, and it's very underrated, I think, with just common Alice Cooper fans. Um, I've dived into this with a bunch of other people that are kind of diehards. Um, I always talk to Don Jameson, who's a buddy of mine, and he, his favorite's also from the inside. Um, and we always, like, talk about it because a lot of people who aren't, like, I think diehard fans are a huge fan of that record. But a lot of people I know who are super into Alice, like me, tend to kind of gravitate towards that record. Um, but I love it. I think it was just one of those records that really like flip the switch with me to, to fall in love with him again. It was just, as soon as I heard that record, I was like, Alice Cooper's the one for me. Um, as for, I think, follow-up records, I would definitely say Welcome to My Nightmare is up there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Billion Dollar Babies as well. I usually cite No More Mr. Nice Guy as my favorite Alice Cooper song ever. And I sometimes get a little bit of flack for that just because No More Mr. Nice Guy is such a, a hit. But it's a hit for a reason. It's a great song. Um, and it was like one of my very first favorites. So definitely Welcome to My Nightmare. Definitely Billion Dollar Babies. Um, I love the early 70s stuff. Um, I, of course, love his 80s stuff as well. I love Trash. I love uh, Hey Stupid, which was 90s. But I feel like a lot of what made me an Alice Cooper fan was the early 70s stuff. You're right. My, mine is actually, well, my favorite like real Alice Cooper album uh, if you want to say, is is Love It to Death. And that, for some reason, I mean, Ballad, Ballad of Dwight Fry, Is It My Body, Caught in a Dream. Uh, we got Michael Bruce coming on next week. And hopefully you can join me for that, by the way. You're yes. welcome to do that. Uh, Michael Bruce wrote, has one of his only um, writing credits as far as uh, just him, uh, Caught in a Dream. Love It to Death, Killer, that era, of course, in School's Out, Billion Dollar, Billion Dollar Babies, that whole era you can kind of, and I, from the inside is tremendous lyrically you nailed it the uh, title track I've always loved the lyrics to that um, I just it's something about it is uh, always hit me but my favorite Alice Cooper album of all time the one that got me into Alice Cooper you're gonna you won't believe it because you didn't mention it when you mentioned 80s Alice is Constrictor I'm I love for a second. <laughs> good well it, it, here's the deal i was such a child i was born in 1984 and i was such a child of just pop culture and anything i could get my hands on as at a young age i was watching like real you know i was watching top gun and horror movies right and so i watched friday the 13th part six with my dad and i was just like i have this music i can't handle how much i was drawn to it uh teenage frankenstein he's back and uh hard rock summer which somehow wasn't on the album we've um had kane roberts on the show and talked all about it constrictor for me, while it might be the cheesiest, it's what got me into Alice. So it always has that special place in my heart. You know what I mean? Yeah, I love Constrictor. He's back. Um, is I also say that's in my top five favorites. Um, it's so cheesy, but so good. It's it's. I remember listening to that song for the first time and going, I know I probably shouldn't love this, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. Like it's so good. Um, I love Constrictor. I honestly probably love it more than I know a lot of people love Razor Fist and Yell, and I do love Razor Fist and Yell for other reasons, but I think I definitely do prefer Constrictor over that record. Um, yeah, he's back, Life and Death of the Party. Like Throw My Gorilla. Things. Throw My Gorilla. <laughs> it's it's all so good. And uh, I actually just saw Alice do that for the first time um, this past tour he did this past fall. 
Um, I'd never seen him do it before. And I was like, every time I felt like every time I went to go see him, he would never do he's back. He would never do it. He'd do it in Europe. He'd do it in Australia, but he would never do it in the U S and he added it uh, to the leg. I think it was November and he played it and I finally got to see it live. It was like a bucket list moment. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting that he did. Um, he's back during that leg because the previous leg, which I saw him on in the summer, which would have been last June back when there was a world um, was uh, they did teenage Frankenstein. So, right. And, and you know, the, the influence behind that Nita Strauss loves those songs. She's a, she, she's in all in yeah. the eighties stuff. So yeah, it's I think great. They did, uh, they did The World Needs Guts there for a while. I think like back in 2018, they did The World Needs Guts. And uh, yeah, she always cites that she just loves that 80s stuff. Um, she, I think she mentioned just the other day, I think on her Instagram story, how she wanted to do Snakebite, which is all okay, stupid. Um, she wanted to do that one, uh, which it's, she loves like the songs that I feel like a lot of people don't give too much love um, I remember her talking to me about doing Roses on White Lace like a year or two ago before they ever did it. And they actually uh, added that to the set last tour as well. So it's nice seeing the 80s stuff get some love because I feel like, again, I love all the early 70s stuff. And I mean, there's some stuff that I wish he would do from those times. Like, I mean, he added serious and stuff in from from the inside and i wish maybe he did a little bit more of that but the 80s i feel like doesn't get too much love or the past couple of years it hasn't really gotten um a lot of playtime. so i'm glad that you know these past couple of tours he's added some of those tracks in yeah what uh, so my first alice show was um october 2001 um on the dragon town tour so i i got to get your thoughts on kind of the the early 2000s because uh, Brutal Planet and Dragon Town kind of sister albums there and went in a totally different direction. That's what I've always loved about Alice is he's such a chameleon and can, can you know, conform to so many different styles. What are your right. thoughts on those? That's more progressive, uh, new metal, uh, Alice. But I, I thought those albums were great, especially as sister albums. And that tour, seeing it was tremendous. Uh, Ryan Roxy was still in the band at that time. Craig Smith, good friend of ours, uh, bassist for Ted Nugent now. And uh, just love that band in that era. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I love Brutal Planet. Um, it's I feel like very underrated Alice album for sure. I'm, I remember Brutal Planet, he came out with this DVD called Brutally Live, and that was one of the very first uh, live DVDs I ever got of Alice. And I remember you know watching a very decent amount. Um, I feel like I never got super big into Dragon Town. I, of course, appreciate it, and I, I love pretty much anything Alice has ever done. Um, I don't think I just got like super, super into it, um, but I really do love Brutal Planet. Um, Get Me Off of That Record is one of my favorites. Um, you know, Take It Like a Woman, he brings it back in with those ballads. <laughs> he's a big, he's a big ballad writer, which I feel like a lot of people don't really know very much. I mean, like he does ballads, but I think that if you kind of just combine them all, he does so many good ones that a lot of people don't really, uh, appreciate or know very well um so take it like a woman's a great one um yeah i love brutal planet i think that those those era or that era of those records is very underrated because it's kind of a little bit different than what alice was doing and like you said i love that he was able to kind of conform to the times and what was going on in metal at that time period instead of just i'm gonna do another billion dollar babies or something like that you know kind of went ahead and did what was going to be the right move for Alice Cooper at that time. So 
um, I think he definitely found success with it. And uh, yeah, I love those two albums. Yeah, and then followed it up with a stripped down Eyes of Alice Cooper and kind of right. back to the to the pretties for you early days, you know. So, you know, we could certainly um, go on about uh, Alice. I mean, one of my favorite <laughs> musicians of all time. I mean, one of my favorites of all. I mean, influenced everything I do. I don't think I'd be sitting here if not for my early indoctrination to that constrictor album, which again is funny there. I don't know if you've ever heard the, okay. So on the movie, there's a song called hard rock summer on Friday the 13th part six. It never made it on right. the album. Are, are you familiar with that song? And the fact I've asked Kane Roberts, per, like nobody knows why it's not on constrictor. There, it, it definitely stands out. It should be on there if, if you're not familiar with it. Yeah, I have heard it and I don't know why either. Um, I, I don't know why, which is funny. I should, like ask Kane, but apparently he doesn't yeah, even know. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's very weird. Um, the funny thing about that album, which I don't know, I mean they put it in the movie, so I don't know why they wouldn't put it on the album. I guess. Um, but a funny thing about that is, I remember Kane saying uh, he's back. Actually, was they had like a heavier version of that song that was planned, and they were gonna do that and put that in the movie and put that on the record. And I believe it was the director of the movie or whoever was in charge of putting the song in the movie or whatever was like, this is too heavy. We don't want it. It has to be popular. It has to be more of a hit. And so that's kind of why you got the synth version of he's back, um, which I feel like a lot of people haven't heard the original version of that. Um, I think you can find a demo somewhere of that on probably YouTube. I think it's on the Life and Crimes of Alice Cooper box set. Yeah, I think it might be on that as well. Um, but for Hard Rock Summer, I really don't know why that that was not on the album. Um, honestly, they might just have run out of track space, but I would really love to see maybe like a reissue of that or something with that on there because it is a really fun song. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I, I tell you, kind of as we kind of wind down here, and I, and I hope we can do this again and hope we can do more because there's just, yeah. we're del delving into just one specific era of Alice Cooper and it's taken us, <laughs> taken up our whole time. Um, so, you know, for me, as someone that's my age and that grew up and I didn't see a lot of bands in their prime or, you know, when they were touring on, you know, albums that are iconic and, you know, in the 70s and 80s, I've noticed that um, it's sort of surreal and sobering sometimes when I think about just in the last five years, I was at ACDC's last show with Brian Johnson in Kansas City. I was at Twisted Sisters last show in South Dakota. I was at Motley Crue's last show in LA until uh, hopefully next summer, right? So when you, and I was, I, and the, a couple of days before that, Lemmy Kilmister had died and I was out in LA and just the, the rainbow was going crazy and the, the monuments and all that. So it's like, as someone 16 years younger than me, do you look at this and say like, what am I going to do whenever I'm 30? Who am I going to go see? Because I'm 36 and I'm like, when I'm 50, I think I'm done. I'm retiring, I guess, from, from my music attendance. What, what, what is your thoughts about that? And just sort of like going forward and what it's going to be like for you? Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to think about sometimes. Um, it's, it's funny because I mean, like I said, my parents are huge into this music. So when they were growing up, they went to see all of these bands in their prime. Um, my dad graduated high school in 1985. So they went and saw Dokken and Motley Crue and, you know, all of them when they were in their prime. And uh, growing up, I would always hear these stories and be so pissed off because I never got to <laughs> see them in their prime. Um, but like you said, I think it's been very sobering to, you know, I saw Motley Crue twice. And although they're going to be touring again, you know what I mean? Like, I saw Twisted Sister at some point. 
Um, it's really scary to think about what it's going to be like. Um, you know, even just seeing musicians pass after a while is very difficult. Um, one of the hardest that hit me was David Bowie, which he's not uh, metal per se, but he was one of my biggest influences kind of growing up. And I never got to see him. And when he passed, that was kind of almost like a time marker for me as to the fact that um, it feels like right now I'm going to have all of these bands forever. And I know I'm not. Um, so I think a way to kind of combat that, or I try to, is I really do try to pay attention to the newer bands that are coming up. Um, you know, although I love the older stuff and I love all of my classic Alice albums and my Dawkins and, you know, all that stuff, I really am trying to do my best to pay attention to these newer bands like The Struts and, oh God, what was the other one? Um, not Greta Van Fleet. There was another band. There's a ton of different bands. Dirty Honey up. is a great Dirty one. Honey. That's what it was. Dirty oh, Honey. Oh, wow. Just a guess. <laughs> All of these different bands, you know, that are, are coming up right now and who are releasing new music and working on new stuff or even bands like Hailstorm, which maybe aren't super new, but they have a lot of life left in them. They're not, you know, Lizzie Hale's only in her 30s. You know what I mean? She's, she's going to be making music for a while. Um, it's just trying to focus on that. And I think that we are definitely in a period where we're seeing a little bit of a rock revival um you know just with these bands and bands that are definitely influenced by the 70s bands and the 80s bands um and i see the label frontiers which is doing a lot of 80s metal inspired stuff you know that they're uh, a host to bands that are very inspired by the White Snakes and the Motley Crues and stuff like that. So it is very sad to think that one day I'm not going to be able to see the Scorpions or, you know, Ozzy again. Um, it's going to be very hard. And I often wonder what I did to deserve to have to live through that. <laughs> I, I often wonder why I was chosen to have to watch that occur. But I'm also very proud that I'm going to be able to carry this music on and be a part of it in some way, you know, even getting to interview David Ellison or Glenn Hughes and be a part of it in some small way um, and leave my mark in some small way. Um, and I, of course, will pass this music on to whoever, you know, my kids and their kids and, you know, everybody in between. So... That is incredibly insightful, and I could not agree more. And I'll tell you, in the last few years, I've had to delve into some bands from Sweden. I don't know if you know Heat or yes. Crazy Licks, but I'm a, I just huge fan of those guys. They've they've all been on the show, and uh, huge fan of them. So if you if you're familiar with them, Sweden might be our savior going forward. Right. And I hear that they they didn't really shut down for the coronavirus, so uh, they, that just may be where I wind up. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love Crazy Licks. Like I said, yeah. I think there, there's this like 80s rock revival that's coming back, which I mean, I probably would cite the 80s as being like my favorite genre of music, the 80s metal. So seeing all of these bands and artists that are very influenced by that time period, you know, starting up and getting record deals and releasing new music is very hopeful to see. Sydney, I cannot thank you enough for, for your time here as we head into um, Independence Day weekend. I hope you have a tremendous one. Hope we can collaborate in the future. You do such a great job. Again, it's a metal from the inside and the, the website's metalfromtheinside.com. So absolutely check out everything Sydney's doing, guys. She is keeping it alive. She's going to keep it, keep waving the flag for us. And uh, we can't thank you enough, Sydney. Let's catch up again and maybe we can uh, get some interviews done together and kind of tag team it because, you know, again, um, my, my co-host is long gone, so maybe we can maybe we can make that happen. 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it and uh, love everything you do as well to keep this scene alive. You know, we need as many people as possible. So thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Sydney. Take care. Thank you. See ya.